Alrighty, everybody. So if you haven't already, grab one of the growth guides that you see lying around on the tables. If you need them, there are pens up there near the entrance, so you can grab one of those. 
we are in a series called How to Church, where we're talking about some of the basics of what it means to be a part of a church and how we do church. And if you want, take your growth guide and turn it to the back, and you will see an overview of this series. These are some of the things that we've been talking about. And in fact, I'm going to grab one because I didn't get one before I came up here. And uh, you see the story we're living, the pattern we're following, and that's what we just finished talking about was the pattern that we're following. And now we're talking about, beginning with this week, the people that we are becoming. So you'll see some of the outline of that, and you'll be able to catch up by looking online if you would like. So today, the question that we are going to be asking ourselves is this one. How do I know when good enough is good enough. Now, you might not have put it that way before, but each of you asked that question in some form or fashion. Perhaps it's easiest to see that when we're talking about other people, because there are probably some people in your life that you've encountered, that you've had to deal with, that good enough is never good enough, right? For some of you, it might have been apparent that you could never please, no matter how hard you tried. Good enough was never good enough. Maybe it was a boss that you were constantly working to try to figure out, how can I please this person? How can I do what they expect? And it was never, ever good enough. It could be perfect, except for one little thing. What are they going to talk about? That one little thing. For some of us, it's not somebody that's external. It's actually our own internal voice. Because those external voices start to be internalized and we start asking ourselves, do I measure up? Is, Is the job that I'm doing good enough? And others might be telling us that we're doing a great job and that they're perfectly pleased with us, but there's that little voice within you that says, no, I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. We see it in other people. Also, on the flip side, where we, uh, they're they're not looking at us and trying to judge us, but we look at them and we say, that's not good enough. Where you're constantly being frustrated by someone else and, and you don't know when you will able be able to just accept them and where they are and why don't they do this and I've talked to them about this and how do you deal with that kind of issue? For some of us, it's the way that we do our job and where are we good enough? For some of us, it's our parenting. We do our best, but we wonder, is it good enough? For some of us, when we're at school, we're talking, to, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, how, how good is good enough? How am I going to measure that? Is it, uh, is this going to be good enough to get an A? Is just getting a grade what I'm aiming for? How good is good enough? And ultimately, we're all judging ourselves and judging others somewhere on that scale. So we're going to solve today the tension that comes up. When, how, when we ask the question, how do we know when good enough is good enough? What we're talking about in this section of how to church is our core values. 
the core values that we have as a church. And I'm going to count them down in order of importance. So we're starting with number three. And the way that this came about was several years ago, our leadership team was reading a book called The Advantage, which was helping us to determine some of these core values that we have. And what they suggested was that you look out over your church and you see the people that you're like, oh yes, they are really hitting it out of the park. They're the people we're so thankful for. They're really contributing and decide, well, what are those characteristics that they're demonstrating? What is it about them that we appreciate so much? And that's how we came up with this list. And we start with this one. Today, we are talking about excellence. Excellence. And we'll define that. We'll talk about what it's not and what it is. And this is a characteristic, a core value of us as a church, but it's also, because it is that because it's a reflection of what it means to follow Jesus. And here's what we're going to say, that Jesus' followers give their best and trust God with the rest. Jesus' followers do their best, give their best, but we all fall short in some way, so we trust God with the rest. And the challenge, the way that we will practically apply this, is that each of us will be able to identify some spot where we can kick it up a notch where we can do a little bit better in some form or fashion. Now, unlike most times where I only read one passage, I'm actually going to read two passages to you. They're relatively short, so it won't take any longer, really. But we want to look at two passages that illustrate this concept and will help us to resolve that tension between being a perfectionist or being someone who doesn't do their best and is always falling short. We're going to begin with the prophet Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And although I'm not going to go in depth in this passage, I can give you the overview of the book of Malachi. You'll understand it more than 90% of the people who are sitting in church somewhere today. But basically what God, what Malachi does is he communicates a message from God that says, God says, you're falling short in this way. And the people say, what are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. We do this all the time. And then God says, no, no, no. Here's what you're doing wrong. And here's how you're falling short. So it's just this pattern. It's like God says, here's what you're doing wrong. People say, what are you talking about? We don't do that. And then he shows them how they have done wrong, how they're missing the boat. And he begins, uh, this is actually the second accusation. It's in Malachi chapter one, beginning at, Verse 6 through 14. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? 
Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring this, that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices will not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asks the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Second passage is from the New Testament, from the introduction to the first book to the Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul. Verses 26 to 29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would show us your excellence, your glory, and that we would reflect it well. And I pray, Lord, also that you would speak a message of grace to us because some of us just need to hear that, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Silence the accusing thoughts and speak the affirming, accepting word and help us to mirror your image, to reflect your image well to our world in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, just a little note as we get started that because I have been somewhat out of commission over the past week, things are a little bit different online and on site. Uh, usually they parallel and mirror one another. That's not the case this time. So Cornerstone on site here, 
uh, is the new message, and it will be available on demand, but the online version that people watch are watching this morning is different. It's a previous message, because I could not film on Friday morning. So just be aware of that. If you see that, if you see that there are two growth guides available or anything like that, don't be confused. This message will be available on demand later this week, hopefully. But wherever you experience Cornerstone, our purpose is that we will inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And that wholeheartedly is a big part of what we're going to be talking about today. Why do we do that? Because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. Now, if you are new to Cornerstone or just haven't let us know who you are yet, we don't have your email or anything like that, please do let us know because we want to stay in touch with you. We want to uh, keep you up to date with what's going on. You can do that most easily by texting the word NEW to our church number, 603-225-2550. Okay, so we said that Jesus followers, this is what it's like to be a Jesus follower. We give our best and we trust God with the rest. Here you have the standard of excellence and the experience of grace. So I want to give you three observations related to this. Number one is that excellence is called for. As a follower of Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ, how do we do church? Excellence is called for. Now, I just want to point out one little part about that passage in Malachi. Look at how the Lord points this out to the people. He says, try giving gifts like that. Remember, they were offering defective, blind, sick sacrifices, uh, things that were not worth worthy. Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. So he's saying, look, you wouldn't do this to your governor. You wouldn't bring a gift and present a gift that was defective or worthless to an earthly king, to an earthly ruler. Uh, if you want to think about it, we just celebrated Valentine's Day. Now, if you love your Valentine, then you probably got them something nice. You got them fresh flowers. You got them candy or chocolate or a gift. You would not bring day-old gifts, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't get, search through the bargain basement flowers to give to your honey. That's just not the way it works. You want to present the best because you care. And this is the point that he's making right there. You don't give those kinds of gifts when you care. So the contrast is from the lesser to the greater. The governor is an exalted position, but he's less than the Lord. You wouldn't offer these sorry gifts to the governor, so you don't offer them to the Lord. And he makes that point by emphasizing that there are people who know how to worship me. This is the Lord speaking all over the world. They uh, who honor me by bringing their best to me. Look at what he says here. This is the people who know how to worship, the people who are doing it right. What are they doing? They are bringing their best to me because excellence is called for. The, the, the Lord is worthy of your best. If you know how to worship, you're going to honor the Lord by bringing your best to him. Now, what is excellence? It's important for us to identify what we're talking about here. First thing I want you to note is that excellence is not perfectionism. 
Excellence is not perfectionism. It doesn't mean that it has to be perfect because what's reality? We're never going to get it perfect. We're never going to be perfect. However, we can strive for excellence. Well, what is excellence if it's not perfectionism? Excellence, I define as doing the best you can with what you have. It's doing the best you can with what you have. Over the past couple of years, as we've made all the adjustments related to COVID and changing location and all that kind of stuff, have we always had the ideal situation? No. But what we have striven to do, is that a word, uh, is to do the best that we can with the resources that we have available. And that's what we continue to do doing the best you can with what you have available. We can't do anything about what's not available to us, but we can decide to do the best we can with what is in our hand. And this theme of excellence, doing the best you can with what you have, because excellence is what's called for, is a theme that shows up repeatedly in the scriptures. Let me just give you some examples. In the great commandment, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, What's the greatest commandment? Jesus replies, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You go all in as you are following the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6, we'll look at verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. Saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what that looks like. When you're doing your work, you're not just doing it to get by. You're doing, you're working heartily as Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do. Uh, it goes on to say in the next verse, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. What do we do? We inspire and equip people to follow Jesus. Let me try that again. It's this word right here. We inspire and equip people to follow Jesus. Very good. I'm glad you're with me. Uh, right? So that's what it's like. So what's his standard? When you're serving you're not judging the people. You're like, oh, I don't like that teacher so much, so I'm not going to do my best. Or they have, that, that, that kid doesn't deserve that, so I'm not going to go all out for them. Uh, my boss has not been nice to me this week, so I'll just kind of slack off a little bit. The standard as a follower of Jesus is serving wholeheartedly because you're not serving that person. You're not deciding, are they worthy of it? And then I'll decide how hard I'm going to work. You're saying, I ultimately serve the Lord. That's how I will serve, as to the Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul is describing there. And then he also, in 1 Corinthians, sums it up this way. Whatever you do, let's keep you awake. What's that word? Whatever, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And this is a neat concept. I've, I've told you this before. I'll emphasize it again. Glory is one of those churchy Bible words that we don't really define really well. But part of what glory means is presence made manifest. 
When God shows up in his glory, he's making his presence manifest to us. When it says that Jesus is the glory of God, it's saying that Jesus shows up and shows us what God is like. He's the glory of God. And when we serve wholeheartedly, when we do the best we can with the resources that we have available, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. There's a sense in which God shows up and makes himself known through what you do. Isn't that kind of cool? And by doing that, we show people what God is like. That's a cool thing. Uh, a couple of years ago, I found a book that was really good talking about this. It's called Excellence Wins. It's by Hortz Schultze. Does anybody know who Hortz Schultze is? He's the guy responsible basically for Ritz-Carlton as a brand. So it's all about service and excellence in the hospitality and transferring it over. And he talks about defining excellence with three different ways, and I think they're good shorthand. I'm actually going to use my own words. I'll give you what he says if I remember it as well. But he says when a customer comes into your hotel, your business, or whatever, there are basically three things that they want. And this is how he defines excellence. Number one is to do what you promise. The way he puts it is it's to provide a product with no defects. In other words, if you're going to say, you know, you're going to provide this hotel room and it's going to have this level of service and this kind of thing, then you do what you say you're going to do. You deliver on your promises. Now, in the scriptures, God's word is his bond. And I think sometimes we've gotten away from that in our culture, but it's, it's that when he says something, you can count on it. He's going to do what he said he will do when he said he will do it. So we do what we promise. When we do that, we reflect the glory of God. We show what God is like to a watching world. And the second one is kind of a corollary to that, but it's to do it when promised. If you say you're going to do something, part of the delivery is to do it when it's promised. You say, I'm going to do this by this time, then you do it by that time. You do what you promise when promised. Uh, the way that he puts it is timeliness. You know, no, no defects, timeliness, and then lastly, with kindness, with kindness or respect. Uh, the way he puts it is they want people, people want them want you to be nice to them. Uh, nice uh, can kind of have different meanings. I like the biblical word of kindness or respect. So if you, a part of what doing excellence is, is you're going to treat people well. What, what, what if we as followers of Jesus were known for our excellence in the way we treat people? What if the reputation was, you know, I don't know if I believe what they believe. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, if I buy all that. But man, anytime I'm around them, I'm treated with kindness and respect. No matter who I am, no matter what's going on. That would be kind of cool. That might, that might show people what God is like. So it's doing what, pro what you promised, when promised, with kindness. That's what's called for because that's what God does. And we're supposed to reflect his image. So Jesus' followers give their best 
and trust God with the rest. Now, the trust God with the rest is important because the second aspect of this is that failure is inevitable. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Failure, failure is inevitable. You are going to fall short. We don't meet up to our own standards. We certainly don't meet up to God's standards. There are times when our own worst critic is ourselves, when our everybody around us could be pleased with what's going on, but we look and we are just not pleased and we wonder how good is good enough for us because we see our failures. We see our shortcomings and failure is inevitable. The way the scriptures talk about it is in this famous passage, Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned, but look at how he defines that. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. That phrase there is also used in, of, of archery. It's missing the mark. You're not hitting the bullseye. You're missing the mark. Failure is inevitable, but how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we, how do we respond to that? That that's, that's an important part of it as well. I like this passage in Ephesians. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, get rid. Uh, another translation says, make a clean break. That's, that's one of my favorite phrases in the scriptures. Make a clean break. Just boom. We're done with this. What are we done with? We're done with bitterness. We're not going to turn over and over again all the wrongs that have been done against us and let them stir up anger perpetually within us. Get rid of, make a clean break from rage. Uh, I often talk about how the Holy Spirit for a follower of Jesus is supposed to be the one and only controlling influence in your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes our anger becomes the controlling influence in our life. Rage, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Some of the harshest words that you might encounter might be people from might be from people that you know well, people in your family, people in your church. Be done with that. And slander as well as all types of evil behavior. And then what are we supposed to do instead? He says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Because excellence is called for and that's what we want, that's a good thing. But sometimes we're going to fail. How we deal with that in ourselves and others is an important aspect of that. How we're kind or tender-hearted. When somebody fails you, when somebody blows it, how do you respond to them? Could it be described as tender-hearted? Kind? Because the standard is, well, guess what? You blew it. And God sent Christ to die for your sins. He showed you kindness that was undeserved and unearned. So let's do that for one another as well. That's part of what it means to pursue excellence is how we deal with failure. Because Jesus' followers give their best and they trust God with the rest. It's what's, excellence is what's called for. Failure is inevitable. How are we going to deal with it? But the good news, the great news, is that grace is available. Grace is available. In 2 Corinthians, in a famous passage, the Apostle Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. We don't really know what it is, but it was some kind of suffering that he was experiencing. And so, just like any of us who are going through 
suffering, what is our prayer? God, please remove the suffering. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to deal with this. Lord, please deal with this. And three times he prayed, three times he got the same answer, which is no. And it says each time he, the Lord, said to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, grace has two very important aspects to it in the scriptures. One is the more common understanding, which is that grace is undeserved favor. I'm going to treat you with kindness. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to do good to you, regardless of whether or not you have deserved it, whether you've earned it. But often in the scriptures, grace is also paralleled with power. In other words, there's a lack and I'm going to fill it up, and that's grace. I want to illustrate that with uh, my, my cups up here. I have two cups, and I have the pitcher of water. I'm going to pour just a little bit in one, and I'm going to almost fill up the other. Now, if this is your resources, you know, sometimes you feel like, eh, running kind of low. Not, 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 not having what it takes today. Sometimes, or some task, you're like, oh, I got this. I know how to deal with this. I've done this before. I got the strength. I got the power. Now, I love what, what, what the Lord teaches Paul in and through this is that uh, when you feel weak, that's actually an opportunity for God to pour his power into your life. So if you, if, you, if you perceive yourself like this, then you're like, I got this. You know, you know God, if you want to top it off a little bit, that's okay. You know, I, 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 don't have, I, don't, I don't have a lot of need. I don't have a lot of room for you. When you see this, you're like, Lord, help me. <laughs> Pour it in. I got, I got lots of room for you to fill up. So the question becomes, which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the one? who is full of your own power and strength and depending on your own resources? Or do you be, want to be the one that has room for God to pour his power into your life? So all those places where you feel weak, where you feel insufficient, where you feel like you're falling short, those are all opportunities for God to pour his grace, his power into your life because he says, my power works best in weakness. And so what does the Apostle Paul go on to say? He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. He's like, I'm the, I'm the guy with the tiny little capacity, the tiny little cup with not much in it. And that's good because I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And so that's why I love, it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, that passage from 1 Corinthians that I read to you. We're saying, uh, it, it just reminds us that no matter what we may think of ourselves, most likely we have more in common with this cup than that cup, and that's okay. And you don't have to worry about it because God's power and grace is sufficient. Pa Paul says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few, there weren't a lot of you, 
Few of you were wise in the world's eyes. You weren't smart. You didn't have it all together. Or powerful. You didn't have a position. You didn't have leverage. Or wealthy. You didn't have the resources. Few of you were like this. But what has happened? God has united you with Christ Jesus. And so when, when, you, when you unite with someone, when you get married, then, th- then that's a combining, right? A combining of your lives, combining of your resources, combining of your assets. You're combining your lives together. When you say yes to Jesus, you're uniting your life with Christ. And so his resources become your resources. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. This passage is talking about the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Uh, I need wisdom. Where? Uh, well, you've got it. God has made, G- when he gave you Jesus, he gave you the wisdom of God. What else has he done? Christ made us right with God. He gave us his righteousness and said, all of those sins, all of those shortcomings, all those ways that you failed, I'm going to put those on Christ on the cross. They're going to be paid for and you are going to be forgiven and you're going to be adopted and welcomed into the family. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. We're broken people, but God can heal us and he makes us us well. And he freed us from sin. Does anger and bitterness and rage control you? It doesn't have to anymore because you have been freed from sin. And so, therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. What is my resource? My resource is the Lord. And this happens when we say yes to Jesus. So I always give an invitation to say yes to Jesus. What are you doing? You're committing your life to him. You're saying, yes, I want you what you did on the cross to count for me, and I'm going to follow you. You're the boss. You're the one who gets to call the shots. I'm not worried about what my friends think anymore. I'm not worried about what the world's standards are. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And when you let us know that you do that, then we want to celebrate with you because it'll be the best decision you'll ever make and resource you for your new life in Christ. Say yes to Jesus. So today, we've been talking about excellence. Excellence is not perfectionism. It's doing the best you can with what you have. And that's what Jesus' followers do. We do. We give our best because that's what's called for. Jesus is worthy of it. And we trust God with the rest. We realize that we have shortcomings, but that God, because we have been united with Christ, can make up the difference in our lives. We're going to trust God with the rest. So how can we apply this? Most likely, as I've been speaking, there's probably some aspect of your life where you realize, eh, can't really say I've been giving my best there. So find that spot to kick it up a notch. Find that spot to kick it up a notch. Think about what the Lord has done for you, what he is worthy of, and then use that as motivation, your love for Christ, to just put in that little bit extra. Just like you did at Valentine's Day for your spouse or for your honey or for your girlfriend or for your boyfriend. You 
went the extra mile because you care for them. And if you love Christ, you're going to do that little extra. Here's two questions that you can ask that will help you to strike that balance. The first off is, have I done the best I can with what I have? It's just a simple question. You know, I, I'm not asking you to do more than you're able. I'm just saying, of the resources that you have, is that the best that you can do? Have you leveraged them to the greatest extent for the kingdom of God? So you can ask yourself that question. And then the balance for that, because some of us, some of us have a tendency to not put our best in. Some of us have a tendency to go overboard is a question that Craig Rochelle, the guy who we watched last week here, uh, came up with. And I like this one. Is it get mo? That means good enough to move on. That's been really helpful to me sometimes because I tend towards the perfectionism. Is it good enough to move on? You know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's good enough. I can move on to the next thing. Is it get mo? So some of you need to do mo and some of you need to get mo. And then whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What would it look like if we, this little band of Christ followers, decided that the, God, that the Lord is a great God and he's worthy of our greatest effort? That not just in the efforts that we usually think of, but in our interpersonal relationships, that we forgive with excellence. We show kindness. We are warm and welcoming, what, displaying the character of Christ with excellence to the world around us, forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us, that in every aspect of our lives, whatever we do, our goal is to manifest the glory of God, to show the watching world what he is like. Excellence is one of our core values as a church because it inspires people and honors God in the process. So let's do it. Let's do mo and get mo and show the world what Jesus is like. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your best, that the whole picture that was painted through those unblemished offerings was that you would offer a perfect sacrifice in Jesus, the Lamb of God. Thank you for that sacrifice because we fall short. Thank you for providing a way that our shortcomings could be forgiven and that we could gain entrance through the death and resurrection of Jesus into your family and into citizenship in your kingdom. Lord, it's our heart's desire to show a watching world what you're like. I pray that you would speak to each of us so that we'll know exactly how this message needs to be applied in our lives from your perspective, and then give us the courage, power, the grace to do it. And thank you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you're already in your discussion groups around your table. You'll find these questions up here and in your growth guide. And as we've been doing for the past couple of weeks, I'm going to let you manage your own group when you start, when you finish. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. Yeah.